You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. We have developed the habit of standing when we read God's Word, and um, I think, honestly, I, I learned it in Bolivia, <laughs> uh, but it's something that I think is valuable, and so we're in chapter 1 of Philippians, and we're going to just uh, begin in verse 12 and listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say to us. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given to me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. May God bless his word. Thank you. You may be seated. How many of you have heard this little rhyme, just one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last it's uh, something that my mother would repeat several times, so I got it memorized without even trying to memorize it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This morning, as we open our Bibles, we read an experience of Paul. And as he writes to the Philippian church, it's, uh, it, it gives us an opportunity to kind of climb to the experience of another believer in Jesus Christ. Let that person be our mentor for a moment. And, and try to understand if we can get inside that experience ourselves, if we can identify with that experience and therefore uh, learn something of the lessons of faith through it. That's what I do when I consider the Apostle Paul. He's, I think, probably one of my most important mentors. And this morning, there's three things that I'd like you to take home from what Paul's experience of Christ has taught him. First of all, it has to do with joy in all circumstances, Secondly, passion facing life or death. And thirdly, conviction in purpose in life that is lived. Let's not forget that the uh, epistle of the Philippians is actually a prison epistle, which means that he wrote it while he was in prison. And so the, the experience that Paul is having was one of being in chains to a Roman soldier. And in fact, at that time, the tradition had it that uh, the Praetorian Guard, as they were called, had four-hour shifts. Can you imagine those poor young Roman soldiers 
being chained either by the foot or by the hand or arm to the Apostle Paul. Some of them probably would have dreaded that and traded their salt and cigarettes or whatever they had for another shift somewhere else. And some of them probably looked forward to it because some of them were actually chewing on the things of eternity and getting to know the God known through Jesus Christ. And so here is, here is Paul. And, and so he's actually uh, you know, writing this letter to the Philippians two years after being in Rome, in prison, chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. And here, in light of that, look at verse 12. This is what we read then. He says, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And he's getting ready to send this letter through the messenger that came from Philippi, Epaphroditus, and he's worried that the Philippians are losing faith because they've heard that Paul's in prison. And so he's wanting to write them and encourage them, hey, don't, don't worry on account of me. God's advancing the gospel in spite of the fact that I'm in prison. And the word advance here is a pioneer word. It's used of the pioneers that would cut their way through rugged terrain, like the ski trail that the Nudimic folks were making. Cut their way through and make a, a, make a way that there was no way before. Now there's an irony in this passage. The irony is this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, we read that Paul, his, his best ambition, his greatest desire was to preach the gospel in Rome, the capital city of the empire. In chapter 15 of Romans, he said that his greatest ambition also was to preach where Christ was not known. Well, Christ was not known in Rome early in Paul's missionary career. And so what's ironical about this thing is that Paul does get to go to Rome at the end of his life. Paul does get to go to Rome, but he doesn't go as a preacher. He doesn't go as a pioneer the way he envisioned it. His strategy was that if I could just strike a mighty blow to the center of the Roman Empire and touch Caesar's household, then therefore a whole empire is going to change. But what happened was that Paul went there, but he didn't go as a preacher. He went as a prisoner. Suffering, suffering shipwreck on the way and all kinds of sufferings. But he got there, and now he finds himself chained to Roman soldiers. The thing that's interesting is that because he had, a, had appealed to Caesar, he was now part of what was called the Praetorian Guard. And those were special elite soldiers that were reserved only for taking care of those that were on trial to see Caesar. And so those special soldiers actually lived in Caesar's palace, had special perks and and so on. And now Paul's chained to them four hours at a time. And take a look in your Bibles at Philippians chapter 4. What do we read in verse 22? If you have your Bibles, chapter 4 of Philippians in verse 22, Paul is giving his final greetings to, to send this letter through Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And he's sending his final greetings and it says that 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 he sends greetings from all the saints in Rome. Wow, there's already saints in Rome. Praise the Lord. The church is growing. But then he adds this, and he says, and especially those who belong to Caesar's household. How did we get Christians inside Caesar's household? How'd that happen? Well, it happened four hours at a time in a prison. That was God's strategy. God didn't give Paul the game plan up front. 
But Paul's strategy, God's strategy was to do exactly what God had put on Paul's heart to do. But he did it in a way that wasn't Paul's way. Is it possible for you to view some of your present restrictions in life as God's door to spreading the gospel, God's door for ministry? Could you see your present circumstances as a prison? But could you see it with a, as a prison that sheds light in it? Could you see your boring job as a prison that God has ordained for you? Could you see the infirmity that keeps you housebound as a prison that God has ordained? Could it be your school or your workplace or the sports team that you play for? You see, prisons come in all shapes and sizes. But God transforms prisons for the pioneers of faith and turns them into frontline ministry. Frontline. Cutting edge. Most of us have heard of Charles Spurgeon. Not many of us have heard about his wife, Susanna. She was struck with an illness early in their marriage, and she was housebound. She couldn't get out, and she could have used her home as a prison. But instead, she had a burden for all the students that Charles Spurgeon and his college was, were teaching, all the pastors in England. And so she started uh, this, this book fund. And through this book fund that she raised money on and support for, she, literally thousands of pastors across England received literature and books for their training and tools in ministry. Another Susanna that we know of from church history is Susanna Wesley. She had 19 children. 19 children. Two of them we know, their names, Charles and John. Very involved in the Methodist movement. Uh, I think 19 children for a mom could be a prison. She turned it into an incredible opportunity to disciple her children and see them go out and serve Christ. At the age of six, a woman by the name of Fanny Crosby was struck blind. And that, that could have meant her prison sentence right there. The rest of her days, blindness, darkness was her prison. But instead, if you opened up the hymn book that's sitting ahead of you and opened up, you'd probably find that most of the hymns in there are by Fanny Crosby, still being sung today. You see, there's so many examples. There's countless examples of people that have had opportunities God has put them, but it's not the way that they've imagined it, is it? But not only did Paul face imprisonment and suffering, but he also faced opposition. You'll see that in verses 15 to 18. And he talks about the relational opposition. Now, this is kind of hard for us to understand, but basically, wherever Paul traveled, not everybody liked him. Not even everybody that were Christians liked him. And some were envious of his apostleship, of his authority, of the access that God had given him to churches and places. And so it says in verse 15, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Verse 17, they preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, trying to stir up trouble for Paul. You see, some of them were so interested in their own ideas and kingdoms that they, they weren't interested in advancing the kingdom of God. And you'd think that Paul would maybe take a real uh, a focus on those, those dissenters, those defectors, those people that are stirring up trouble and and aim, aim it at them. But instead, he, he says in verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false or true motives, Christ is being preached, and so I rejoice. You see, Paul didn't see himself as the attitude police, the motive police. He, he wasn't interested in, in trying to go after them. He, he concentrated on Christ. He did not have a personal axe to grind, a personal kingdom to grow, a fragile eagle to protect, ego to protect. In the fame of Jesus and the sharing of his good news, that was consumed Paul. 
and, and dictated every decision. And so he had joy in all circumstances. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing how liberating it can be, the truth of Christ. When we have settled in our minds this sovereign God and the things that he has brought us to, and we don't have to worry about neither defending or promoting ourselves. And, and we can take all that energy that's worried in defending or promoting or protecting ourselves, and we can turn it over into kingdom building. That's what Paul's living like. Secondly, we notice that we're passion in Paul's life and in Paul's death as he faced death. Verse 19, Paul is again talking about his circumstances, convinced that they're going to turn out for his salvation. In other words, he's saying, this is my discipleship path. God has a different one for each one of us. And in verse 20, his main hope is that he won't be ashamed, that he'll have courage. And what does he want courage for? Verse 20, he says, I want courage so that Christ would be exalted in his body. And the word exalted is the word literally, it means to magnify or make large, like a big microscope, make it large, that Christ would be made large in my body through my testimony. It's, it's similar to John the Baptist's testimony in John chapter 3, verse 30. What does John say? He must become greater and I must become less. That was John the Baptist's testimony. And that's what, that's what fueled Paul. Paul is absolutely consistent. That's the thing that's amazing about him. He was a man of integrity. He, he was consistent because the benchmark, the measuring stick, the acid test, the reference point, the thing that made sense of all other things in Paul's life was this thing. Will it magnify Christ? That was the, that was the basis for Paul's decision making. Incredible. And he was consistent. How can I exalt Christ? For Paul, there was nothing he could lose that would compare with gaining Christ, and there was nothing he could gain that would ever be worth losing Christ. So Christ was his life. And so in verse 21, we get to that landmark-centered text for this morning's message. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I'm not suggesting you do this, but if you want to, you can. Take your Bibles, go to verse 21, and cross out the word is. If you want to, you can do that because the Greek text does not have the word is. So Paul is saying here, in, in, in sort of literary exclamate, exclamatory language, he's saying, for me to live Christ, to die gain. That's the way he says it. Paul was convinced of it. Later on in chapter 3, in verse 7 and 8, He's, he's talking again about the losses and the gains of knowing Christ. And he says, I've lost it all for Christ. And I consider everything else rubbish if I may gain Christ. Do you not come with me and stand on tiptoe and try to experience a little bit of the faith of Paul in Christ? Do you not feel, do you, do you not feel somehow I was made for that? Do you not get thirsty for more of that as I have? I want to be free like Paul was free. Because Paul was free to die for Christ, he was free to live. I mean, once you've settled the big things, what else matters? 
so Paul goes on in verse 21, 22. He says, but if I'm going to go living on in the body, it's got to mean fruitful labor. It's gotta, if, if I'm going to keep on, I'm gonna, it's got to be, be fruitful labor. I don't know if I've ever met someone as free as Paul. Some people betray their own faith by hanging on so tightly to their mortality. We say we believe in eternal life. Peter writes that a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. 2 Peter 2.19 You ever taken stock of what masters you? A good way to test it is to take it away for a while and see how you are. Paul was free as a Christian in the way that I want to be free. I don't know if I live there. For me to live Christ, die, gain. Paul's a winner either way. But see, you're not, you're not a free person if you're obsessed with the losses and blind to the gains. You're not a free person. I might have shared this story before, but in a former pastoral ministry that I had, there were two men that in the same four, four to six months or so, I was visiting on a weekly basis in either in their homes or, or, or hospitals. And I'll call one Victor, and I'll call one Mike, And when I went to see Victor, Victor's reference point was losses. He he talked during his cancer about all the losses that he was facing, his his abilities, his his recreations, his his strength, his health, and eventually he thought his family. And that was his reference point. That was his focus. And then I'd go over to Mike and I'd visit Mike. and, and, And I'm not saying that he didn't struggle with having to leave things behind, but Mike was absolutely different. His reference point was what he was gaining. Really, he talked about, he talked about being free from a body that was racked with cancer. He talked, about, he talked about being free from sin. He talked about meeting Jesus face to face and that this, this partial intimacy that he has now would be full. He talked about that stuff. It, it impacted me greatly. I left sometimes in tears. I left sometimes thinking that I was a spiritual pygmy. That's the way Paul's addressing it. That's the way Paul approached life and approached death. He was absolutely consistent. Everything he did did, was was determined by, is this going to exalt Jesus Christ or not? And so when Paul's thinking about living on, he's thinking about, will it exalt Christ or not? I, I read about J. Vernon McGee, a pastor of the church at the Open Door in Los Angeles for 20 years and he tells a story of having a serious illness that was life-threatening. He had to have surgery. He came out of surgery. He was in recovery in the hospital. And these are the days before texting and emailing. And he got a letter in the hospital from a woman from his church in Los Angeles. And this is what the woman wrote. She said, uh, she said I know that everybody is praying that you'll get well. But I'm praying that the Lord will take you home. Because to be with Christ is better by far. And he wrote a letter back. And he said this. Would you mind letting the Lord decide about this? I want to stay a little longer. (laughs) I'm not suggesting that it's easy to grapple with our mortality. The fact is that most of us never do. But it is a faith exercise to ask what death would cost you. And I have sat on the edge of the beds of, of, of elderly saints 
that have a body racked with pain, that have lived their 80-some years, and they just want to go home. And I'm telling you that probably it doesn't cost that much for them to go home. And I've also sat at the edge of the bed of younger people and even children, and they want to stay, and they want to live longer. And I would say to you, it costs a lot more for them to die. But the equalizing factor in all this is that Paul is saying, whatever, whatever losses this world has to to, uh, give, whatever gains this world has to give, nothing is compared to Christ. Paul approaches it that way. The third point I'd like to share is that Paul, chained to a Roman soldier, writing to the Philippians, is convinced that his time had not yet come. Verse 25 and 26, he's saying that, I think God wants me around a little while longer. And in fact, he did live a little while longer. So he puts aside the thoughts of death, puts them aside because for him, he says, if I'm going to remain in the body, it's got to mean fruitful labor. And it seems like for your progress and joy in the faith, God's going to keep me along, around for a little while longer. The word progress is kind of going back to that pioneering theme that we, we began with in verse 12. It's this idea of what actually the, the word is progress here is what was, dis, what was done by an advance guard in preparing for an army to come through. Advance guard. Paul says, I am like the advance guard. God sent me to Rome. Here I am in the middle of the Praetorian guard affecting Caesar's household. But it seems like God wants me here longer because some of you are getting more courageous. Some of you are growing in your faith. Some of you are grabbing hold of the gospel. And so I think God's got me here for a little while longer. But if I'm going to stay longer, it's got to be. It's got to be for your progress and joy in the faith. Because otherwise... It's better by far just to go home. This week, I was struggling with how to preach this sermon. And um, I decided that, I don't know why it was, but on Tuesday, I just had to talk to Mel Penner. So I, told, I phoned Mel, and um, Mel, would you come right now, where, wherever you are, and have a seat with me? And as, as, um, as Mel... Um, and I talked. She couldn't get together until Friday. And so we waited until Friday. And, and I was struggling with the scripture that whole time. I just didn't know how to deal with it. I was reading the scripture. And I, I was feeling like I was a theoretician. I didn't know how to make it live for me. I didn't know how to, to really live it out. I didn't know how to preach it without having touched it. And it touched me. And so I, I got together. And Mel and I had to talk about this text on Friday. And I didn't go to Mel's place thinking that she might share the day, but I came away feeling that if God opens the door for her, she's meant to share. I want you to know that God took Daryl and Melanie about a year and a half ago or so by the hand and started leading them into deeper waters. Deeper waters, according to Luke 5, are where you let down your nets for a catch. And that in the process of the last year, they're convinced that God's developing... I, th- I see God developing a gutsy faith 
in them. And they are convinced, and if you've read Mel's blog, you'll know, they're convinced that it's not just for their sake and their family, but it's for many people. And so, Mel, thank you for coming and being willing to share. I do have some questions I want to share. Go ahead. I, uh, I just want to say that about a week ago, I started having a stirring in me that God was telling me that it was time to start sharing some of the things that he's teaching me. And I was like, no, God, I'm not ready. <laughs> and then Pastor Terry showed up. <laughs> And we talked, and I felt like it was the time. And so I'm really thankful for this opportunity to share this morning. Amen. Why don't you start by giving a brief description, Mel, uh, to everybody. Uh, what, what have you been through in the last year? Okay. I'm going to keep it kind of brief because most of you know. Um, about a year ago, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And it was pretty aggressive cancer. So we, my life just stopped. Every single thing that I was doing in my life stopped. I didn't... I stopped teaching, I stopped serving in the church, everything stopped, and I went into quick treatments. I did three months of treatments, lots of radiation, lots of chemo, and then I had to wait three months to find out if the treatments had worked, and in April, I found out that they hadn't, and that I was, I had term, what they call um, persistent cancer, and at that time, I was told by my doctors that there was only one option left, and it was a really big, major surgery where they would remove all the organs from my pelvis. Because of radiation, everything had been melded together, so they would remove everything, and I would have a very life, a different life at the end of it. And um, that was my only chance to be cancer-free. And so on June 18th, we, we prayed about it. We opted into doing the surgery. On June 18th, I went into the OR, believing that God had prepared me for a different life and that he had prepared me for this surgery. However... They first took out my lymph nodes, and they found that their, the cancer had spread to my lymph nodes. And because the surgery was so massive and it was going to take so long to recover, they decided not to do it. In the thought, their, their thought process was that if the cancer was in my lymph nodes, by the time I had healed and recovered from the surgery, the cancer would probably have spread to somewhere else. And so they didn't do They closed me up, and I woke up in the next day my doctor came to my hospital room and he sat down and he said I'm sorry we couldn't do surgery this cancer is going to take your life you probably don't have very much longer to live and you need to go home and build a legacy and um, that was it I went home a week later and I didn't know what to do we didn't know what to do we um, were shocked and, and about a month after we called Pastor Terry, we called the pastors to come to the church, and about there was about 17 of us came to my house, 17 prayer warriors of my closest friends from this congregation, and we had a healing service, and it was a really powerful night. We all felt the presence of God that night. The pastors anointed me with oils, and we prayed, and we asked for healing, and we asked for more time, and that's kind of it, and that's that was a couple months ago, and now here I am, and I, I feel great right now. I I feel terrific, and I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm healed. I don't know if I still have cancer. I feel good, and we're just trusting that God's going to give me the days that he wants me to have. Hmm. Mel, talk about the last year, and what have been some of the gains and some of the losses? Okay, I'm going to start with losses and save the best for last. There have been lots and lots of losses in my life. It's changed dramatically, and I'm just going to kind of focus on the big ones. I'm not going to list all of them. And the first and foremost is my health. 
I have lost good health, and I've lost peace of mind that comes with health. I live every day, most of the time I'm feeling good, but every time you feel something or you have a headache or a backache, you think, oh, it's the cancer, or the cancer spread. Or... So I've lost peace of mind. Mm. I've also, I do have a lot of side effects from radiation, a lot of pain. And um, so there's a lot of activities. I used to be really um, into sports and doing really active, and there's a lot of things I can't do mm. as a result of my health. Um, the second big and a big one for me is my career. On the day that the doctor told me that the cancer would take my life, he also told me that I will never be in the classroom again as a teacher. That was a really hard thing to grieve because it, along with my career is financial security um, as well as professional relationships and even a confidence in doing something that I was good at. That's gone. I don't have that anymore. And... The last big one is control. I lost all control. I feel like my life is more out of control than in control most days. And I used to be really in control. I'm a real control person. And um, I don't have control anymore. So those are the losses. And the gains, there's been a lot there as well. And I'm also going to just focus on the big ones. The first one, and probably the most important to me, is my perspective and understanding in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's changed in a lot of ways. Um, one big one for me is understanding the presence of God. I used to know that God was always with me, but I think I kind of just called on him when it was good for me. And um, I remember often praying when I was working full-time, God, give me reminders of you today. And, and now I live knowing that he's in me and around me and so present. It's like mm. when you're in water and you're surrounded by water, like he's that real and that present and that much with me all the time. Mm. And um, I also learned about God's sovereignty like I never did before. I believe he is 100% in control. He orchestrates the circumstances that go on around me. And I trust completely in him knowing that with my whole life, with all of me. And um, the last one is, is, is compassion. I, it was a hard one for me. To, I had to work through understanding a, and having a better understanding of God's compassion because when God takes you through a hard, hard thing like he's taken us through this year, it's hard to see his compassion. How can a loving God take me through this? Yes. But when I look back on the year with the hardest treatments and the darkest days, he was always there. He always gave me just enough to get through. And he has shown us a lot of compassion through all of you and through loving people who have come alongside us every day. So that's my first gain is my relationship and understanding with Christ. Secondly is time. Um, every single thing I did in my life came to an end and stopped. And I was just given this new life with a lot of time. Um, and I got to spend more time with God, and it gave me t a lot of time to reflect on what am I supposed to fill my days with. Mm. And um, he has shown me that I am made, number one, to serve and to worship him. Mm. Those are the first things. I used to think that I was made to teach, and I was made to be a mom, and I was made to be a wife. But I know now I was made to worship and to serve, and all those other things are just vehicles mm. to doing that. Yeah. And the third thing, the last one, is that God, has, one of the big gains for me is opportunities. 
because I'm terminally ill, I have a platform that people listen to me. And I have a blog that I share. I never wanted to write that blog. <laughs> um, and now I have a lot of followers. And a lot of people all over the world read my words. And I know that God's using them. They're not really my words. They're, they're his words. And, and he's using them to touch people's lives. And, and he's, just, he's given me opportunities to share one-on-one with a lot of people. And opportunities like this morning. Amen. Amen. Those are the gains. Amen. Mel, we, you've been, you listened to the sermon this morning. We talked on Friday about the, this passage of Scripture. How do, you, how do you respond to Paul's message about gains and losses? And, and how do you, you apply it to your experience? Okay. Um, I've, I've told Pastor Terry I'd like to be chained to Paul for four hours <laughs> um, so I could talk to him and get... I, I guess what I've been thinking about as I study this is to live is to Christ and to die is to gain and to live is to Christ. I'm learning. I'm slowly learning through understanding his presence and his sovereignty and his compassion and, and living with him every day. I'm slowly learning that part. I get that part. You know, it's, it's what we're made to do, but to die is to gain is that's a hard one. Um, I have a lot to lose. When I think about my losses, what Pastor Terry asked us to think about, what are your losses in dying? Well, my losses are huge because I have a beautiful family and um, I have a beautiful life. So my losses are big. But I know I have the head knowledge that it is to gain. I, I mean... I'm 36, and people who are 36 don't think about dying every day, but I do, because that's the life I've been given right now. And when I think about the day I'm going to die, and I think about it a lot, I think about that moment when I go from here into the ultimate presence of God, when I'm fully surrounded by him, and I get to hand him my burden of cancer. I get to hand him every burden that I've ever carried. It will be glorious. I know that. I know that that day will be glorious. And yet, as I said, my losses are big. But what I've learned to think about is about those losses. Mm -hmm. And what am I... And I'm, I'm okay losing most of the things in my life. And I've thought about that. I'm okay losing my possessions and my house and my... It's the people that I that are hard to lose, specifically my family, my friends. That's the loss. And the good thing for me is that the things that are most sad to lose and the things that I, I don't want to leave this world for are eternal. Mm. And Daryl and I talk all the time about how we don't have the time or the energy to invest in the things that aren't eternal mm. because we don't have much time. And I hate to break it to everybody here, but you're actually all terminal. (laughs) Every single one of you is going to die. That's the reality. And you haven't maybe had a doctor tell you that, but you are all going to die. And God has a special number for each one of us, for me as well. And my doctors don't know, and I don't know. And it's, it's a mystery. It's not for me to know, and it's not for you to know, but... Really, you don't know. And because you don't know, you don't have time to invest a lot in the things that aren't eternal. Mm. And really, all that's eternal are the people around us. Mm. And 
So it's my job to, when I am here, to do everything I can to emulate Christ and his love. I was made to love. Mm -hmm. And that's what I need to do. Mm. Amen. I want to ask one more question, and it has to do with, uh, Paul says in the passage in verse 22, what shall I choose? I do not know. Um, What have you learned about the choices that God gives you in life? Okay. Well, it's funny that you ask, because just this week, I'm a good friend, and she's here. She texted me and said, how are you doing today? And it was like 8.30 in the morning, which is really early for me, because I am a late riser these days. And um, I texted back, I haven't decided yet, because I have to, I make a conscious decision every single day how my day is going to be. I get up and I don't decide for a while. I try to meet God first and then I make a decision as to how my day is going to be. And the choices are are simply, am I going to have a pity party day? Am I going to feel sorry for myself? Am I going to ask why me? And, and the reality is I'm justified in it. Um, I can, I can feel sorry for myself, and no one's going to criticize me for it. I can call any of my friends, and they'll feel sorry for me with me because um, I'm justified in feeling sorry for myself and asking those questions. But my other option is to say, today I'm alive. Today I'm living, and God has given me this day, and I'm going to live with joy because I can, and I'm going to serve you. And when I say it like that, the choice seems really obvious, Mm -hmm. but it is a daily battle. And I do not always choose the one that I should. There are a lot of days, there are weeks, in fact, where I've been stuck in feeling sorry for myself Mm -hmm. and asking God, why does this have to be me? Why am I living this life? But on the days when I do choose to live in joy and to be glad that I'm alive And to serve him, he always opens a door. Hmm. There's either a phone call of someone who needed to talk to me or a friend who calls for coffee or someone that I run into at the grocery store. There's always someone. Hmm. And I think we talked about the to-do list, and maybe I'll just touch on that. Mm -hmm. As um, something I've learned is that I used, to, I used to live on a to-do list. I'd have about 50 things every day, and I'm sure every mom in here can relate to this, right? You've got 50 things you have to get done in a day. And what I've learned is that the top two things on my to-do list have to be to serve and to worship. And everything else on my to-do list, like grocery shopping, picking up kids, and all those things, are just avenues to doing that. Hmm. And I want to challenge people to think about that to put worship and serve God on the top of your list. Don't take a terminal life sentence to, to help you to realize. Let my, mm. let my road be your opportunity mm. to realize that. Amen. Mel, thanks so much for sharing. Thank you. Being willing to. You know, God has us here today or listening on, online um, because God has something to say to each one of us about, about life about death, or about our priorities. And uh, as we conclude the service, I'm going to ask if Pastor Alf could come and pronounce the benediction. And uh, would you stand with us now? Oh, Lord, this morning, 
When we leave this church, we'd rather not think about the fact that we're terminal. For most of us, we'll push that aside and get on with our busy lives. But in our presence this morning, we have Melanie. We have to pray for her in her hour of need. And we have to pray for ourselves in our hour of need. Yes, Lord. We don't know what to pray. And so with an awful lot of love and with gentleness, I lift up Melanie to your presence. Yes, Jesus. Grant her an increasing joy in your presence. Whichever way life takes her. Grant her the courage to share with others the huge challenge that all of us are going to face. And while we pray for her, we pray for ourselves. That you will take us as broken and as hurt as we are and lift us up too. And exalt us in the presence of Christ with his righteousness and bring us to the point of peace so that both living and dying Mm. are gain. Amen.